0: we want these regulations to be durable into the future mm-hmm. and you know if provinces and utilities can't meet them in certain circumstances then they're not going to be durable
1: Welcome to the Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of Electricity Canada. This is episode 083, number 83 of the Flux Capacitor. This episode was recorded in early 2023 on Zoom. My guest today is...
0: My name is Mark Zacharias. I'm the Executive Director for Clean Energy Canada. We're a climate and clean energy think tank based out of Simon Fraser University with offices across Canada.
1: Mark joined me for a conversation about the role that Clean Energy Canada plays in informing public policy decision-making. We talk about the areas of focus for the organization, the notion of buy clean for public infrastructure projects, their work on household affordability, how they engage stakeholders, and their view on the draft clean electricity regulations. We also chat about what constitutes clean energy when it comes to electricity generation and concerns about what the impact of the rise of populism and culture wars may have on the transition to a clean energy future. We close the discussion with Mark's book recommendation. Here is my conversation with Mark Zacharias. Mark, it's great to finally get you on the podcast. I've been looking forward to having this conversation for a little while.
0: Uh, me too. Yeah, thanks for inviting me.
1: So, why don't we why don't we start at the at the very beginning? Clean Energy Canada, and uh, maybe start at the very beginning of Clean Energy Canada itself. Uh, how about you know a, a bit of a thumbnail sketch on on how Clean Energy Canada came to be?
0: Great. We've been around for about twelve years now, and we've been part of Simon Fraser University since two thousand and fifteen. And we're, you know, as I noted in my introduction, climate clean energy think tank uh, based at SFU, but we have offices in Ottawa, Toronto, Vancouver and Victoria, and uh, we work on all things climate and clean energy and we have Three, three to four distinct programs we generally have been focusing on over the last kind of 10 to 15 years, uh, the first one being transportation, so we're very active in light duty vehicles and encouraging Canada to get automobiles made here, manufactured here with Canadian metals and minerals in Canadian batteries, and then have a national sales mandate to make sure that those vehicles are available to the customer. So that's a big part of what we've been doing for a number of years here. And in doing that, we've done a lot of work with the battery supply chain and a lot of the manufacturers. And also now we're switching to medium and heavy duty vehicles as the sales regulations kind of move their way through the regulatory process in the federal government. So that would be our first um, kind of tranche of work. Our second tranche would be the clean economy and Mm -hmm. uh, we work in heavy industry decarbonization. So we spend a lot of time with our colleagues in the steel, cement, aluminum, forest products, chemicals, fertilizer sectors, um, looking at ways to kind of help them use less natural gas and substitute clean hydrogen, and otherwise make their industries kind of cleaner and more competitive so they can sell Mm -hmm. into the US and European market. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're also focused a lot on buy clean, which is basically getting the federal government's large infrastructure funding pot for construction. Right now it's $160 billion over 10 years. Uh, What we want them to do is basically take those monies, which are leveraged against local government and provinces, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. make sure that when they throw a dollar in for a new bridge or school or hospital anywhere across Canada, uh, that they are using the cleanest construction materials in steel and cement. Um, Mm -hmm. Those materials happen to generally come from Canada. So it's a great job creator, keeps Mm -hmm. investment in Canada. it's good for the climate it's good for economy builds jobs across canada and in our energy program which is probably of interest to some of your readers um we are focused on getting canada to 100 clean grid and we've done some work across canada showing levelized cost of energy around, you know, how we could decarbonize and what are the ways there. Uh, we've been big proponents and supporters of the clean electricity regulations, and we hope to see those get across the line at some point in the next year. Um, very invested in kind of doubling our electricity grid, uh, make sure that we're, you know, competitive into the future and that, you know, Canada's secret sauce is clean electricity, and it still mm-hmm. will be decades from now. Um, and then lastly, and very quickly, we do work on household affordability and showing that the kind of economic and climate transition to a low carbon economy um doesn't hurt people's wallet. It grows good jobs across Canada, provides opportunity, and it is Canada's future
1: mm-hmm. Wow, okay. well, that's that that's a a, a really good uh, more than just a thumbnail sketch of. Of, of the different areas. And yeah, I, I want to drill down on a, on a, on a couple of those. But uh, maybe first, sort of, uh, you, you did mention your um, uh, it's a, a primarily a think tank now affiliated with uh, Simon Fraser University. Uh, how, like, how big is the team? Um, and, you know, kind of, what, is the, what does the organization look like?
0: We're pretty small. Um, there's currently 16 of us, um, mm-hmm. about kind of half in eastern Canada, half in western Canada. Right. Uh, we recruit every, from all aspects. Uh, you know, we have a PhD who worked in Brussels on carbon border adjustments. And, oh, okay. uh, yeah. you know, we have ex-political staffers and we have scientists. So a little bit of everything. But, but generally, um, you know, we're very small, so we don't do large en- engineering deep dives into subjects. Mm-hmm. Uh, we generally have good communicators. And we have people that know how the governments work and how senior decisions are made.
1: Yeah. And what was what was your uh, your journey to Clean Energy Canada? Where did where did you come from? Like, I, I, was, I, I, always, uh, I always I always I always joke with people who are on the podcast. When you were a kid on the playground, is this what you dreamed of uh, doing when you? Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I couldn't be an astronaut or a firefighter, so uh, I, I became a <laughs> biologist about thirty-five years ago, and. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I did a 27-year career with the British Columbia Public Service and got a PhD in zoology along the way and wrote lots of papers on marine science and a couple of textbooks on marine science. But, you know, I kind of realized in my career that, you know, the future is going to be climate. And uh, yeah, so I've been at Clean Energy Canada for about three years now. It's kind of my Mm post-retirement gig and very much enjoying it.
1: Yeah, well, uh, if this is your post-retirement geek, you really suck at retiring because I know how busy you guys have been. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's talk about some of those areas that you raised. You, you started off, um, you know, the first area uh, is is transportation. How is that one moving along? Kind of what's your, what's your take in terms of uh, how, uh, uh, you know, how we're doing if we were going to assess overall how Canada's progressing along that? That that cleaner energy future, uh, specifically with respect to transportation, it's been it's
0: been remarkable what's happened over the last two and a half years. Um, if you look back about two years ago, um, there were no agreements with the unions at Ford, GM, and Stellantis around building EVs in Canada. You mm-hmm. know, GM was just contemplating building EV delivery vans, their Bright Drop vans, at that particular time. So everything were just ideas. And then you know, since then agreements with the unions, uh, Ontario and the federal government have come to pass. And we now have three large battery plants that have been announced. The most recent one was Northville last week, $7 billion investment in Montreal. And we have Stellantis and VW. Uh, You know, there's been much movement from the federal government around their $3.8 billion investment in critical minerals mining. So uh, we've got a number of cathode active material manufacturers that are uh, ready to go and looking to stand up. So Um, You know, I would say Canada is actually really pulled its weight, Um, you know, Mm -hmm. in the budget 2023 with the new investment tax credits will kind of help Canadian businesses kind of match the Inflation Reduction Act. So, um, you know, overall, we've seen a lot of progress in Canada. And I think really with the national light duty vehicle sales mandate, when that comes to pass, uh, that's going to really basically set up the demand side of the equation as we build the supply sign. So really good. Yeah, okay.
1: All right, so so the second area you talked about was was that that clean um, economy area. Um, and one of the things you mentioned was was clean hydrogen. I, I, I know we, I mean, we talk a lot about clean hydrogen, but uh, are we making any significant progress? I, I when I ask people about clean hydrogen, um, I'm always told that, well, we're we're on the verge of 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 getting to clean hydrogen, um, because the, 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 there are challenges with respect to 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 the cost um so where does that one sit at least from from your perspective
0: i would say i would agree we are on the verge on clean mm-hmm. hydrogen i mean canada is a fairly significant kind of hydrogen producer worldwide right now just given our yeah. natural gas reserves uh, we do have incredible opportunities for carbon capture and storage particularly alberta and bc and saskatchewan to create blue hydrogen Um, We are doing that right now. Um, We also have, I would say, the conditions for success for green hydrogen through electrolysis, you know, not only because we have the ability to create, build and generate so much clean electricity, but, you know, you need nine liters of water for a liter, a kilogram of hydrogen, and very, very few Countries have that we do, so we're, we've got the elements of success. You know, Canada is a very large geography, and our problem is is we want to decarbonize steel, cements in Ontario. You know, with green hydrogen, we have to get it there. We either have to produce it there, or we have to get it there somehow. Yeah. So that's yeah. going to be very difficult. Um, we do have some other opportunities. You know, on the west coast, we've got uh, Fortescue is looking at a green hydrogen project in Prince George. You know, we have Shell and others looking at large hydrogen production green hydrogen in the west coast so you know that could be for domestic use could be for export as ammonia it, it's really unclear yet you know what we do have is we have we export 12 percent of the world's fertilizer and we produce 12 percent mm-hmm. of the world's fertilizer and you know much of that is coming from hydrogen as feed or natural gas as feedstock okay. and natural gas as a heat source so you know we have a huge opportunity in the hydrogen space but as you say it's kind of yet to
1: be defined okay so that that the significant uh, amount of uh, hydrogen that Canada is currently producing isn't isn't clean hydrogen yet?
0: Not yet, no.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. Um, and then, you know, you, you also talked about buy clean. I really like the sound of that. I mean, um, having spent, uh, you know, a fair amount of time on Canada, U.S. issues and, and being challenged with, like, buy America uh, um, uh, proposals in the United States, Buy clean it sounds um like uh, a no-brainer. Um where's that one at? Is this is this something that, that that's getting traction um with uh, with governments and with the, with uh, with folks overall? Yeah, I
0: mean after the 2021 federal election. Uh, mm-hmm. ByClean appeared in, I think, two or three federal ministers' mandate letters as uh, something that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we understand that there is a draft by clean policy federally uh mm-hmm. ready, ready to go. And uh, I think hopefully we're very hopeful in the coming months that we will see a federal buy clean strategy kind of get announced with a bit of funding behind it to be able yeah. to make sure that we can close that cost differential between you know regular steel and clean steel, you know for mm-hmm. construction projects and and then you know ideally we want to see the federal government um, start right away in purchasing low carbon construction materials uh, mm-hmm. which ideally come from Canadian or at least North American suppliers and okay. eventually roll out those rules on to cost matching with local governments and municipalities. So um, huge opportunity for Canada.
1: Right. Is there a bit of a chicken and an egg in in this space then in that, um, the um the the or is there already a lot of uh, opportunities now are there people producing these these green uh, you know infrastructure materials or are, are we you know do we need to create more demand by having governments move into the buy clean space that would Further promote the the the, the development of uh, of basically clean infrastructure um, supply chains.
0: It's, it's a bit of both, bit of supply side, bit of demand side. I mean, yeah. Canada has an inherent competitive advantage in that our clean right. electricity grid means that most of the products we already produce in construction materials are lower carbon. So mm-hmm. in many instances, there's not much more that we need to do in this space, which is good. Um, mm-hmm. But also too, is we need provinces and local governments when they do go into procurement for kind of new schools, hospitals, bridges, any public infrastructure project, To basically demand that the carbon intensity be lower than a certain threshold. So, you know, the federal government's kind of working on these intensity thresholds for various projects right now and products. So uh, it's all starting to come together. Um, we're already seeing, for example, I live in B.C., mm-hmm. uh, you know, Portland line stump cement is almost cost comparable to traditional cement, uh, mm. just given, given the market. And and we expect, you know, we understand that there's probably a 2 percent cost differential between low carbon materials and regulatory materials mm-hmm. and on most projects. And, you know, that's going to that delta will come to be hopefully close to zero in the coming years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. OK, cool. Um. The energy program um, the levelized cost of energy uh, you'd mentioned before actually before we before we hit record uh, that you just come out with a, um, a, a household affordability uh, report I guess that kind of falls under your under the the, the fourth area of your focus but tell the, the, the listener a little bit about that report because as you said it, it's it's got been getting some traction the last couple of days.
0: Yeah, so um, we noticed about a year ago that uh, there were a number of kind of, you know, individuals and organizations and politicians that were conflating confl- climate action with increased uh, affordability. So mm-hmm. uh, climate action costs your Pay, pay pocketbook and climate action costs you money. And we wanted to kind of actually do the analysis to figure out, like, you know, is that true? So mm-hmm. what we did is we focused on a greater Toronto area household, detached okay. house, four people in it. And, you know, what we found is that uh, if you have a traditional household, which would be one small gas SUV, one F-150, you heat your house with natural gas, you got a natural gas stove. Um, If you actually made some changes there by just switching out the F-150 to a uh, uh, SUV that's an electric vehicle and used a heat pump instead of natural gas when your gas furnace runs out, you know, you start saving about 300 and some odd dollars a month, which is pretty significant. But if you actually make the full jump and have a fossil-free household, you know, disconnect from the gas utility uh, altogether, mm-hmm. you could save about $800 a month as a family of four. Uh, you know, that's 10 grand a year. You can spend on anything else. And then we did the same analysis for condo owner, um, two-person mm-hmm. condo owner. Um, and again, you know, the savings, uh, you know, were just under half that, obviously, because you use less energy. Um, but uh, yeah, they were material. And, you know, we got Syndication across Canada through CBC, oped mm-hmm. and Toronto Star. So it's actually been uh, picked up quite well. And uh, we're mm-hmm. hoping to run the same type of analysis we did in Ontario um for other parts of Canada and get those results out uh, over the coming weeks and months,
1: yeah, that'd be interesting to see how it how it plays out in in other jurisdictions as well. that's it's, it's one of the things that I, I hear from some of my members in, in jurisdictions that that uh, that are, for example, um, you know, are, are more challenged in terms of decarbonizing their electricity sector. So, you know, one, one of the things that that uh, that, that uh, you know, I'll ask folks sometimes when they when they've got simple solutions to to to, you know, uh, addressing decarbonized electricity is is I'll always ask, OK, so how does that how does that work in Saskatchewan? Um. So it'd be interesting to see how how this plays out in in other jurisdictions as well. So we'll be looking for that. Oh, thanks.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully sooner than later. So
1: yeah, very cool. Okay. So, um, you know, one of the things that I'm I'd be interested in uh, getting a better sense of is is how Clean Energy Canada. Engages with other uh, uh, other folks. How you engage with stakeholders? How you engage with governments? Um, you know, sort of, w- and what that role is because it's it's a, a an interesting. I find it fascinating, you know, the, uh, how think tanks engage and and how they operate uh, and sort of the role they play in public policy and informing public policy. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be interested to in hear your views about you know how does engagement work with with stakeholders and with government.
0: Sure. And I'll give you one or two examples here. So Mm -hmm. uh, about two years ago, we realized that Canada had a amazing automotive and transportation battery opportunity that just wasn't getting seized. Everyone kind of saw parts of it and they kind of thought there might be an opportunity here. So what we did is uh, we convened the Canadian Battery Task Force. Uh, we brought together 17 or 18 different companies along the value chain mm-hmm. and the supply chain and basically got them together and tried to figure out like, what are the three to four things that the federal government and provincial governments absolutely need to to do to make sure that we actually develop this supply chain across Canada and we can capitalize on our advantages. So, you know, what we do is we convene um, people together, you know, at that time it was mostly virtual because we were still, you know, tail end of COVID, um, but often we would do this in person, and we come together and we produce a report, we do some modeling, and then uh, we basically uh, uh, fine tune recommendations to governments, and then what we do after that, we publish the report, get some media attention, get people talking about it, and then we'll go to Ottawa or, you know, we'll go to Queen's Park or wherever we need to and sit down Mm -hmm. with senior government officials. Um, with our industry partners, and go like if you do these four things, uh, you know here's the jobs benefit that'll come out of it. Here's the GDP right. benefit, yeah. and you know here's the benefit to you politically as well of of being a champion on in this industry. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of how we work. We've done something similar more recently with Buy Clean Alliance. Uh, we have still spent aluminum, forest products, and Blue Green, which is a kind of union environment uh, uh, organization. And again, yeah. we did the modeling of you know how, uh, what would be the climate benefits uh, and the jobs and GDP benefits of a bike lane policy nationally and again uh, broader partners with us did the rounds in Ottawa um, and showed how it works. Uh, the other piece we do on kind of our outreach is, uh, you know, we try and find solutions that kind of work for politicians and work for political parties and get those built into platforms. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we're agnostic politically, we work with all parties, um, trying Mm -hmm. to put good ideas, get them to put them into their platforms, uh, which if they form a government turns into mandate letters, and then we can actually kind of work with them to help them follow through. So that's kind of our approach. So very similar to what other think tanks do um, in, in how we work.
1: Yeah, yeah. What about engagement with um with the uh, indigenous uh, indigenous groups and and indigenous peoples? Is is that a a a, a focus area, or is it uh, just kind of part and parcel of of everything that you do?
0: We will generally work with groups like Indigenous Clean Energy or the right. First Nations Major Projects Coalition, um, you know, mm-hmm. who have direct relationships, you know, with the you know, 600 plus nations across Canada. Yeah. Um, you know, we will obviously advocate for solutions that, you know, provide jobs, economic benefits and, and kind of reconciliation benefits to, to nations and, I mean, clean energy is one of the, the best ways that nations can get involved in you know, Canada's economic future. So yeah, that's generally how we've been kind of
1: working with the Indigenous groups. Okay. All right, so when when we talk about clean energy, I'm always struck by not everybody that has necessarily the the same definition of, of, uh, of what's clean. Uh, and you know our, our approach at, at electricity Canada has been kind of looking to a, a future that is uh, we refer to it as an all of the above approach, recognizing that some regions of this country uh, just weren't endowed with the same resources as, as others. So uh, you know we see a future that includes things like uh, carbon capture um uh, and a, a future that includes uh, in some jurisdictions nuclear. But not everybody necessarily uh, would agree that that the, those would be classified as, as clean. Does clean Energy Canada uh, kind of have a view of, of uh, kind of what what's what's in and what's out when you're when you're drawing that Venn diagram?
0: We're, we're very much aligned with you and Electricity Canada on this is, uh, you know, we have been supportive of technologies like blue hydrogen, uh, which is natural gas with carbon capture and storage. You know, we support the clean electricity regulations that have natural gas power plants that will also use CCS into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we are, have been supportive of nuclear its base load power for Canada. Um, uh, you know, we're you know not certain what SMR the SMR will be in the future, and how much it will cost, and whether people will accept them in their communities. Like uh, that's yet to be proven. Really? Um, but I think yeah, we are certainly in the all of above, um, also too, like, you know, the pace and scale of technological innovation and deployment is such that in 10 years from now, like, there could be something that we don't even think of right now that's mm-hmm. suddenly on the radar and mm-hmm. is going to be contributing to kind of Canada's fossil fuel future. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you would mentioned the, the CERs, um, uh, you know, for the, the sake of the listener, we're recording this in early October. So we're in the middle of the comment period uh, on uh, Canada Gazette One uh, of the the, the draft uh, regulations. So yeah, within the industry, we're we're trying to put together the uh, recommendations that that we'd be putting forward to to make them workable because we see some challenges with uh, with how they're they're currently structured. But um, any any hot takes so far from uh, from your organization in terms of the the CERs? Uh, you know, how far are they from? From hitting the mark are we close do we do we need a, a lot of work a little bit of work to, to 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 land on cer's that are going to be workable and effective and, and and achieve what we want to achieve
0: well we're doing the same as you are we're trying to figure mm-hmm. out what is our internal position on these um yeah. we do know that um you know they are stretch goals and uh i think we will have some advice back to government to kind of make sure they work for all utilities in all provinces in all situations, mm-hmm. and you know that's really our our concern because we you know we want these regulations to be durable into the future, mm-hmm. and you know if provinces and utilities can't meet them in certain circumstances, then they're not going to be durable. Yeah. So that's generally how we're kind of thinking of this. I mean we're a pragmatic organization, and we certainly want to see regulations uh, you know promulgated that that. People can meet um, you know, without extraneous cost, uh, you know, or you know, waiting for new technology that doesn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Um so you know, we're trying to straddle that line between ambition and reality.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, and, and yeah, and so yeah, we're 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 in the same same place right now just in terms of figuring out exactly what what kind of recommendations we'd bring forward to 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 make them work. But that's the that's the sort of uh, the the stick side of things. The carrot side of things was the fall economic statement and yep. uh, and the budget. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not sure what what your perception is of the of the, the budget this past spring. But for us, we saw it as as um, you know potentially transformational. Uh, we've never seen the federal government and uh, a federal budget um, uh, put forward the kinds of investments in uh, into a clean energy system uh, that we saw in that budget. I'm guessing you were. Uh, uh equally pleased with the with the budget that came out in the spring oh, uh,
0: absolutely yeah. i mean you know even setting aside the 20 billion for you know canada infrastructure bank and the yeah. canada growth fund just the, the you know the itcs for electricity generation the 30% itc for clean tech manufacturing the yeah. 3 billion for offshore wind smart grid indigenous generation like uh, all of this is good and it just keeps us in the game with the U.S. And and if the federal government hadn't done it, uh, I mean, we would just see these companies kind of leaving Canada to set up shop in the states. And yeah. so they did the right thing at the right time.
1: Yeah, yeah, interesting. So when you when you kind of project to the future, we've you know the clean energy regulations are focused on 2035. Um, we've also uh, uh, have an ambition for an economy wide, um, a net zero economy wide by uh, by 2050. How, and you mentioned that you know we're we're, we're likely to see different and, and new technologies evolve in the in the decades ahead. What is what do you think 2050 is going to going to look like? Is it is it going to be you know a, look a lot like today uh, only more so, or are those are those kind of new technologies and, and different approaches um, going to going to going to change significantly in terms of how we how we produce and how we use energy? Well, you know, I,
0: I will not comment on Fusion because like everybody, <laughs> I just don't know whether that'll ever be. A, if it turns out to be a thing, that'll be amazing and, yeah. and rescue us all. If it doesn't, well, we're uh, we're kind of <laughs> focusing on other things. Uh, I yeah. mean, it, it's such a good question because... You know, in my mind, I think communities are going to take more responsibility in their energy needs. Okay. You know, We're going to see small distributed systems. We're going to see rooftop solar. We're going to see communities that have battery storage systems. You know, the other piece of all this that people often forget is, you know, we're in a, a situation now where we have drought, wildfire, se- severe weather events, and you know, from an emergency preparedness standpoint, you're going to have to kind of be a little more self-sufficient. Um, you know, in the coming decades than maybe mm-hmm. we were in the previous decades, and and energy sufficiency is going to be a big part of that. So. Mm-hmm. I kind of see that there's going to be a lot of technological innovation, particularly smart grids, distributed energy, you know, Mm -hmm. vehicle to grid, like all of that makes a lot of sense. Because, you know, just doubling the electricity grid the way we're structured now is just going to be very, very difficult and expensive. So we've got to be a little more clever around how we use our electrons, where we put them, how we store them, inner ties. um, You know, I think we're going to see... Uh, Grid scale battery storage uh, on a scale and scope that we're not even thinking about right now, because, you know, as we move away from lithium into like uh, sodium and other battery technologies, it's going to get cheaper and cheaper. So it's going to be fascinating to watch. um, And I'm very interested to see what the next five, even five or 10 years look like.
1: Yeah, no. I, I mean, I agree with you, it, and particularly with respect to, to you know, you mentioned vehicle to grid. Yeah, vehicle to grid, vehicle to home. That was kind of my realization uh, this past summer. I finally, finally, after a two-year wait, took delivery of of of, uh, of uh, my electric vehicle. Um, but, you know, if I, if I start thinking about, you know, not too far into the future, there, there won't be, you know, hundreds of thousands. There'll be millions of uh, Canadians that'll be driving around uh, like, you know, like me and, and like others with, you know, 80 kilowatt and 100 kilowatt batteries. Yeah. It's, I, I, all I have is I've just got this big and 82 kilowatt battery that happens to have, you know, four wheels attached to it and it's mobile um but yeah once we figure out how to uh uh you know in, in, in embed them into our distribution systems um you know then then we're you know we're i think we're able to move from conversations about well what's the reliability of the bulk power system and, and think more in terms of what's the resiliency of the individual customer uh,
0: absolutely and and so what I think too is you're going to see more and more homes with rooftop solar, you know, some local battery storage. You've got vehicle to grid opportunities, and you know, not only does this just generally improve Canadians' energy security overall, but I think it'll help with costs, and it'll help with dispatchability, and it'll certainly help with reliability, particularly in emergencies. So I, I'm pretty hopeful. Um, you know, I see it, we're just at the beginning of thinking about some of these kind of you know integrative solutions, and and I think they're going to come fast and furious at us. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. okay so we we talked to you know we talked about what the, the the focus is of clean energy Canada today what's going to be the focus of clean energy Canada as as, as we project out to the future not not for the energy system as we've just done but but for your organization where do you, where do you see clean energy Canada uh, focusing in five to ten years from now it really,
0: you know, I mean, we have multiple tracks that we're kind of looking at. And, you know, one of the things we we do pay attention to is just populism in general. And mm-hmm. the whole notion that, you know, uh, the energy transition, electrification, climate action is being conflated with the culture wars right now. Right. I don't think that's going away in the short term. And, you know, People will make decisions or make a form of opinions based on what they see in social media that it may actually be hurting their pocketbook. And this is some, kind of some of the work that we're trying to show now is that, yeah. you know, getting a heat pump and an EV can save you, you know, quite a bit of money. Um, but you know, if you're part of the culture wars and and you think that those are not the right solutions, so that's gonna be a kind of a piece of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um You know, we are going to see a number of changing governments uh, and elections kind of over the next five, six years, you know, provincially and federally, Uh, you know, again, you know, for us, you know, working with all political parties across Canada to Mm -hmm. just kind of, you know, make sure that good ideas are are there for consideration, you know, if they get adopted, that's fine. Now, if they don't know, um, one of the areas that we are, you know, not really working a lot with, but kind of looking to is the US, uh, you know, the parts of the US are going to transition incredibly fast and, you know, parts will be a bit slower. And and the question for us is, you know, what is that an opportunity for Canada to kind of sell power, sell technology, sell IP into their, Uh, you know, have solutions is an opportunity to actually bring manufacturing to Canada, take advantage of, you know, what will hopefully be competitive electricity rates it's in a good business climate. So it it really is going to be interesting to kind of see. And then overall, I mean, one of the things we are kind of seized with is crude oil is our largest export by value. And, you know, what happens in 10 or 15 years, whether that's no longer the case, what fills that economic hole in Canada? Mm -hmm. You know, number two is autos and auto part manufacturing. And number Mm -hmm. three, you're back into refined petroleum products and natural gas. So, I mean, we are a uh you know uh fossil fuel energy exporter and and that will change over the next kind of two decades and and what does that change look like how do we prepare how do we prepare canada and what does our future look like
1: cool listen mark there's there's one question i i ask everybody who comes on the podcast and and that is for a book recommendation so uh we've we've assembled uh, a really uh interesting collection um, uh, the, the reading list for people uh, that we call the flux capacitor book club. Um, so, uh, today we're going to add another book to, uh, to our book club list. Um, so what book would you suggest we add to, to, uh, to that reading list?
0: So, you know, I've been thinking about this um, half hour ago when you asked me and, uh, you know, uh, because the energy transition is really about change management and it okay. really is about working with people and it really is about kind of like, how do you switch a culture to think a bit differently around things? And one of my favorite management books that I've ever read, it's called It's Your Ship. Um It was a 36-year-old commander that took over a U.S. naval vessel uh, as its captain, uh, young, Mm -hmm. first-timer, and that ship had the worst morale scores in the U.S. Navy. And it was everything he did to turn it around. And, uh, you know, some of it was self-evident, you know, you know, sit down with the enlisted crew during dinner and and other others were quite things you would not necessarily think about. But, you know, we're in a period of change and change management and bringing everyone along with us is going to be important. And that's kind of one of my favorite books around that subject.
1: All right. Well, so it's I've just found it here. It's Your Ship, Management Techniques from the Best Damn Ship in the Navy the story of Captain D. Michael Ebershoff and his command of the USS Benfold. Fantastic. What a great addition to the uh, to, to the list. Thank you for that. That's terrific. Great. Enjoy. Great. Listen, Mark, thank you very much for taking the time to, to jump on the podcast. Fascinating discussion. Uh, Going to be very interesting to see where Clean Energy Canada goes next. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us.
0: Great. Well, thank you very much for having me.
1: Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future episodes. Please take the time to rate the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen. And let me know what you think of The Flux Capacitor. You can find me on Twitter or X as at Brad Bradley. The website for this pod is thefluxcapacitor.ca. And it includes links for this episode on the show page. This being episode 83. And while you're there, check out the Book Club page, which provides info on and links to the books which have been recommended by guests on the Flux Capacitor, including Mark's recommendation, It's Your Ship, Management Techniques from the Best Damn Ship in the Navy, by Michael Abrashoff, which we're adding to the Book Club list. And let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.